If you have a Bible with you, uh, now's the time to keep it open. Um, And the reason I say that is because, um, especially when we look at this letter, um, we need to have our eyes and our ears open to what I'm saying. If I'm saying something wrong, the message of this text is, don't welcome me back, um, which is there in the text itself. So if I get something wrong today, and it, it puts the person of Christ into question, then you really do not welcome me back. Okay? Um, we are going to be in 2 John this morning. So this morning my hope is that we will hear something that we hopefully already know. That is, we are to walk in the truth and to love one another. You see, we're so prone to forget the simplest of commands. And here in, in the second letter of John, he's reminding the church again of the need to walk in love and to hold on to gospel truth. And the truth of this is that Jesus Christ really became flesh. God became man. Jesus Christ himself is fully God and fully man. And we can't walk away from that truth. You can't compromise this truth. And John in this letter, he gives a real warning to the deceivers, to false teachers, those who look to deny this truth. They're the kind of people, they run with the fads the new teachings, and he warns them. He warns them against following in their work. He warns them, he warns the church against even giving these false teachers hospitality. And this morning, all I want to look at is these two things. Firstly, walking in the truth, and then secondly, running away from the false. As human beings... Our natural tendency is to do the opposite of what we are told. If you ever tell a child not to touch something or to not put something in their mouth, they normally go and do the exact opposite of what, they, of what we say. I remember when I was in nursery, I, I had this book um, and it was called Pied. And on each, pic- on each page was a picture a picture of a child about to do something silly, like jumping in a puddle or touching a really hot plate. Every single word in this book was pied. And for those of you who do, don't speak Welsh, the word means don't. John here writes to a church, that's, that's who the lady is in the text, and he writes to them and tells them, remember the gospel and to pied or don't mess with the false teachers. Remember the truth. So firstly, walking in the truth. What is this truth? Well, it's found in verse 7 of your text, that Jesus came in the flesh. He came as fully God and fully man. Now, this may seem trivial or maybe even pedantic, to make sure that we get this right. But John has already, earlier on in the letter, implied 
this truth's significance. John describes in verse 1 and in verse 2 the church as those chosen in God who he loves in the truth, who know the truth and have an an everlasting relationship with them because of the truth. Already we see the impact the truth of the person of Christ has on us as churches, on us as Christians. You see, Christ, he came as a man and then he walks in obedience. He, he, goes to the, he goes to die on a cruel cross for your sins and mine. He rises again in a body And he's physically ascended and has united us forever to himself. That's an everlasting impact for us today. Christ united himself to us, to human beings, to save us human beings. That impacts not only our relationship to him, but it also re- impacts our relationship to one another. For we are united here today. We are united by his spirit. Verse 3, then John sends his greetings. He mentions God the Father from Jesus Christ, the Father's Son, who will be with us in truth and love. You see, the truth of the incarnation, now that's just a fancy word for something becoming flesh. The incarnation is the phrase we use at Christmas time. God becoming man. And it is central to the gospel. In fact, it is fundamental to the gospel. Verse 3 highlights for us that the truth, this truth that John is telling them to hold on to, has everything to do with Jesus Christ, the Son. Just look at the phrasing there. Grace, mercy and peace. They come not only from the Father, but the Son too. The Son, as we know from John's Gospel, is the way, the truth and the life. And He, the Son, is able to give grace, mercy and peace because He is God. And because he is man. And our lives are to be shaped by this truth. By a Christ-centered view of the Messiah. Which just means Saviour, Lord and King. An incarnational view of the Messiah. Now take a look at verses 4 to 6. And John here, he he gets down to the nitty-gritty He's sort of done with the formalities of the letter writing of the day. Verse 4, he's, he's, what is he? He's happy. Why? He's happy because the church members are walking in the truth. They are walking in Christ, just as God the Father commanded. This truth has clearly had an impact on them and it is reflected in their individual lives and as a result in the life of the church. You see in verse 5 they've been given a command. John reminds them 
but they need to love each other. Love one another. Just think on that for a second. If someone came and asked you in this church, what makes a church really tick? What makes it run well? What do you like about other churches? What do you think gets them going? You know, you might come up with some answers like a a fancy band or a really dynamic preacher. It might be they have the best coffee or tea on tap. It might be they have a really good outreach team. And there's many things it could be. And no doubt John would have had similar questions, similar thoughts while writing. There would be things that people would say, oh, that's what what we need. That's what we need to cling on to in order for us to grow. It might have been the church in the next village. They have services at 10 rather than 11. The person's house that they met in was bigger and better than anyone else's. You know, these are good things to consider. But they don't sustain a church, do they? Now, if you think about how a church works best, it's not the latest idea. It's an old idea. In fact, it's the oldest idea. It is an eternal, everlasting idea. It is love. What makes a church tick? Love. Love. Not tech-savvy people, not great operations or an evangelism team, but the triune God united in love. And us reflecting that love. You see, we as as a church are to love one another. And by doing that, we mirror the love of God himself. We are to love each other like the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit love one another. How are we to do that? How are we to walk in that? How do we show that love? Well, it is by walking. Walking in obedience to his commands, which is to love one another. We are to be people who deny themselves for the good of others. What was God's instruction to Adam and Eve, well, it's love me, enjoy obey me, don't fall to the false teachers. There's nothing new here. This is an oldest command. When we think of Abraham, he believed God and it was accredited to him as righteousness. And by faith, Abraham trusted and walked in faith. He walked in love of God. Doesn't matter who you mention, Noah, Moses, David, Elijah, Elisha, Job. They walk in the truth and they walk in love. In spite of their circumstances, they walk in obedience. But don't just take the Old Testament, for example. Think of God himself. You see, as Christ comes down as a man, and he really does become a man... That's going to sound really repetitive, but it's true. He is a man. The real God, he came down. And as he's living his life, he doesn't disobey the Father. He doesn't get things wrong. But even in his physical, earthly body, he shows us how to love. 
He shows us his love by his obedience to the Father. And he does this in his weakest. When he's tempted, when he's hungry, when he's thirsty, he doesn't fall to the false teachers. He loves the Father and he obeys by the power of the Holy Spirit. And when he faces death, square on in the face, he's in the garden of Gethsemane, he's crying, he's anxious, and he knows what's to come, a cross, a cross that he doesn't deserve, a cross that he took on for you and for me. And he looks at it and he says, not my will, but yours be done. You see, Christ, he walks in the truth. He walks in love. He obeys God the Father by the power of the Holy Spirit. We do have a great Saviour and a great God. But verse 7, we see the problem, a real problem. We see deceivers coming in. Now John is telling the church that they must walk in love. Demonstrate that by obedience to the command of loving one another. But he's also telling them not to fall to the false teachers. He's reminding the church, remember Jesus Christ. Remember he came in flesh. He didn't just appear as flesh. He didn't just put skin on for a couple of hours. Or just this time on earth. No, Christ became a real man. He put on all flesh with all its frailties, with a need for food, with a need for drink. He breathed the same oxygen that we breathe. He laughed, he cried. He enjoyed spending time with his friends. He felt grief. He felt hurt. Physically and mentally, he even died. He even died like all humans will die. He was a man and he was God. If he wasn't a man, he couldn't save us because he couldn't right the things, the wrong things, the disobedient Adam had done wrong. He couldn't be the perfect lamb of God. He couldn't be the perfect sacrifice that we need to cover our sin and our shame if he hadn't become a man. You see, John here is saying, walk in the truth, walk in the light of that. Walk in your union with Christ. Just as Christ unites himself to the body to rescue us, we are united to him by his spirit so that we are now able, now that we've been made new, new people changed from darkness to light, we are able to love him and obey his commands. And we are able to love like Christ does. Love in a completely self-sacrificial way denying ourselves and picking up our cross. And it's not easy. It's really not easy. But verse 8 says that we will win a full reward. Love one another, that is his command. Be motivated by that love, by God's love for you. Now secondly, we are to run away from the false. Do you remember that book, Pied? Don't. What John here is saying to the church, don't deal with these deceivers. Don't go near them. Run the other direction. 
the issue is, while John is writing this, you see false teachers were coming in, denying the truth of Christ as God and man. You see, the issue is, and, and we sometimes fall into this trap, that we think that the spirit is good and the body is bad. Well, that's not true. God created us like this in our bodies. Christ himself came in a body and God has real care for the physical realm in which we live. So much so that he comes and joins us in this realm. That's exciting news. So much so we will, when Christ comes again, we will be given a new, real, physical body. But in John's time, in the culture around him, it was all spirit is good and the body is bad. But why on earth would God come in a body? Why would he come into something bad? Why would Christ come as a man? Well, he comes to rescue us in our mess. He comes to rescue us in the body. So these deceivers, they denied the fact. They denied the truth. The false teachers might say, well, Christ was faking it. Or he was wearing a suit. But he wouldn't dirty himself with the flesh. What John is saying to the church here, don't, don't listen to them. Don't be deceived. Christ is both fully God and fully man. And that is fundamental to your salvation. The gospel hinges on the incarnation. For us in, in our day and age, we may also think in these terms. And the body is bad, especially if our bodies are failing us. Maybe we are even suffering because of the body. But don't be tempted to think that way. Your physicality does matter. It matters to God. If you are thinking in this way, let me just encourage you to turn to 1 Corinthians 15 and read that. Know there is a glorious future for our physical body. But I suspect that we may not have the same problem as this. We, we may not have a problem with Jesus being a man. It is more likely for us in our culture that we see Jesus as less than God. We may see, see Jesus as a Gandhi-like figure, maybe a wise teacher who, who did some impressive tricks, uh, a nice man, a humble man, a, a good man, maybe even a great man. But the world around us sees Christ as less than who he is. But Christ is God and man. So don't be tempted to think otherwise. John's message is the same to us as it was. Just don't get the person of Christ wrong. Don't be deceived. Run away from the false. And John describes these false teachers, these deceivers, really strongly. He calls them the Antichrist. He says that anyone who does not teach the whole truth of the gospel about the person of Christ is not a believer. They are not part of the church. 
But those who do get this right, who walk in the truth of the person of Christ, are part of the family of God, and you will be fully rewarded. So it is vital that you get this truth right. And in verse 10, John actually gives some really practical advice. Have you noticed that? He says, if anyone comes to you and preaches this false message, that Jesus isn't who he claims to be, do not take them in. Some preachers may come and they might deny the deity or deny the humanity of Christ. Say he's not really God or he's not really a man. You run away from those people. Don't welcome them in. Not just because you don't want to hear rubbish sermons, but because if you look at verse 11, John gives you such a stark warning. He gives us such a stark warning. If you give them a hearing, if you give them a voice, or if you show them hospitality, you actually share in their work. You share in the work of false teaching. Now that is a strong message. It is quite a terrifying message. It is something serious. Because by getting Christ wrong, we actually have no hope. If we do not preach the gospel in full, we share with a wicked work. So don't fall into that trap. Don't fall into the false teaching. But remember Christ. Remember who he is. Remember that he was willing to come down, willing to become a man, willing to live obedient, willing to go to the cross, willing to die for your sins and my sins, willing to die and take the wrath of God, the anger that God has for sin on himself. And he there he died. And again, he's willing to, he was raised again. And now he's seated at the right hand of God, still a man. And he's got the marks in his hands to prove it. By the final section, verses 12 and 13, we see then John returning to the conventions of letter writing. John's pastoral heart really comes on show here. He says, I don't want our friendship, our relationship as a church to be merely through this form of communication. I don't want it to be on paper and pen anymore. I, want, I long to be with you. I long to see you face to face, to enjoy you, to enjoy each other physically. In our physical realm, he says that his joy will be complete in this. John seems to imply here that he can't show the love he wishes to show through paper and ink. He longs to be present with them. And this section may seem insignificant. But given the issue of the letter, to me it highlights the need we have for one another. We need one another, don't we? We need to be present with one another. Just as Christ was once physically present with the disciples, just as he will be with us when Christ comes in glory, 
but also we see in verse 13, although short, it's not a, not a pointless message, is it? It says, the children of your elect sister greet you. Now John is saying here, this church that I am from, they send their greetings. They are elect children, just like you are. It's amazing. It highlights that no matter what church we are a part of, if we hold on to the truth outlined in the gospel, outlined in the word of God, we are united by the love of God. That's an amazing truth. We are bound by God. Our bonds are stronger than anything else, for they are bonds of love that spring from the love of the Father, of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. So how does John encourage you this morning? Love one another. Just as Christ loves you. Keep hold of the glorious gospel. Preach it to yourselves each day. Preach this to yourself. Jesus loves me. This I know. For the Bible tells me so. Trust and obey. For there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust him. And obey him. And if everyone in this church does this, if everyone in in church does this, we we will grow. I don't just mean numerically. That's a hope. But we will grow to become more like our Saviour, to become more like Christ. And we will be fully rewarded when we see Christ physically in glory. Also remember that across the world and down the road in Emmanuel, there is a church that loves you individually. We may not know you all by name, but we do love you because we're brothers and sisters. The people of God are united in the love of God himself. Be encouraged, dear friends, to walk in the truth of the love of God. Love one another obey his commands, and by doing this, we'll be more like his son.